All right, listen, it's 2020, and 2020 has been a crazy year. It is a year, I think, for the history books that we will use as a chapter marker to mark our lives by, maybe mark history by, much like other years of history. Maybe, maybe for you that was the recession of 2008 or 2001, and yet I think 2020 is a bit different. It's about sort of a sustained craziness with it, right? Closer to the feel, for those of you who were alive back then, closer to the feel of like a 1968 than even like a 2001. You ever just wake up in the morning and read the news and say like, when is this going to end? Like when, when does the craziness stop? And all the trials, all of the difficulties, all of the division, I think have caused more and more people to ask, when is Jesus coming back? Are we getting any closer to Jesus coming back? Because the Bible clearly teaches that at some point in history, Jesus will come back and wrap up human history as we know it. And I've heard more people talk about the end of the world in 2020 since uh, maybe since the Mayans missed the mark in 2012. That's, that's maybe the closest comparison. And so as we continue today in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is going to talk a little bit about the end of the world, kind of an interesting topic. So grab your Bibles if you brought one. Uh, we are going to be in Luke chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can use that Renovation Church app. Uh, you just tap outdoor services and weekly verses. By the way, if this is a topic that sort of interests you, you're interested in some of this end time stuff, uh, we did a whole series on this back in 2012, uh, one of our most listened to series on our website. Uh, it's called The End of the World, if you want to uh, look that up. There's a whole four-week series on it. Okay, so let's take a look. We're gonna, this is kind of a longer passage, so we're going to take it in little chunks. So we're Luke chapter 17, and we're going to start right at verse 20. Let's start with just the first two verses. It says this, Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, the Jewish people of the day, the people that are interacting with Jesus, they're not really all different from that, all that different from the people of today. They are kind of curious, like, what is life going to be like when Jesus comes, when God comes to really reign on earth? And so they ask Jesus, when is this whole kingdom of God stuff going to happen? Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm looking at them being like, really? Hello? Really? Hello? Right? But Jesus is much more gracious than I am. And he says, listen, the coming of the kingdom of God, in the beginning, when it's inaugurated, when it first sort of comes, it's not this one big moment. In fact, he says, it's already in your midst because they're standing right across from the Son of God, right? It's not like it comes with this red blood moon or a thousand white horses riding in, right? And so let's talk about the coming of the kingdom today. And I, in fact, I'm going to give you four things from this passage that I want you to notice that you can learn from Jesus about the coming of the kingdom. Here's the first thing to learn about the coming of the kingdom. The first one is, it's here but not yet fully. So it's here, but not yet fully. So before we go any further, let's sort of admit this phrase, the kingdom of God, it's, it's a bit ambiguous. It's a bit confusing sometimes when you read it, and it's in the Gospels a lot. I sometimes think of it this way. The kingdom, you could say kingdom, is the dome in which God is king. And really, it sort of comes in two phases. So Jesus comes to earth, right? He dies, he resurrects. People start believing in him. And when you believe in Jesus, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes in you, and you now are a... We're trying to have a service right here. We, you now are the temple of God, right? God is in you. And so the kingdom 
is now spreading across the globe. Now, it's a spiritual kingdom. It's not as fully visible of a kingdom, but the kingdom in its first phase is spreading. It's here, but it's not yet fully here. God is not yet, we don't see him, right? We don't see him on his throne reigning. Now, Jesus, because he's brilliant, he knows what their next question is before they even ask it. And that question is like, okay, but when, when is that part going to happen? When are you going to be like, you know, on earth, the victorious king reigning visually to us? So here's what Jesus says next. So look at verse 22 of your passage. It says, then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the son of man. By the way, uh, whenever you see the son of man in the Bible, that's just a title Jesus has for himself. It comes from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. But you will not see it. People will tell you, oh, there he is. Or, oh, oh, here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the son of man in his day, so he's going to say, this is, this is what it's going to be like when I come back. In his day will be like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. In other words, when Jesus comes back, you're not going to miss it, right? And I go, was that it? Was it not it? Everyone's going to know it was Jesus. So there's a second thing that Jesus is going to teach us about the coming of the kingdom. Now we're to the stage of when he's actually coming back to reign fully. And the second thing is this. Don't fall for false prophets. Don't fall for false prophets. He's saying, listen, people are going to claim, I'm here, I'm Jesus, I'm back, I'm the Messiah, but don't follow them. And and Jesus was right to say this, of course, because he's Jesus. And secondly, because over the last 2,000 years, so many people have claimed to be the Messiah. And they've attracted a massive following. And And I'm not just talking about the Jim Jones and the David Koresh's of the world. It's, it's, I think really it's the more dangerous false prophets that we should be more concerned about. Like Muhammad, who started Islam by claiming that the angel Gabriel from the Bible appeared to him in a cave, of course with no witnesses, and then dictated the Quran to him. And then Muhammad, if you've read much of the Quran, basically goes on to rewrite whole sections of the Old Testament, and now many people have followed him as a new revelation, as a new prophet. Wait, too many. Or Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith is a false prophet, the founder of the cult of Mormonism. You know, Smith said that an angel named Moroni appeared to him and told him to dig up golden plates. And then he supposedly used these golden plates to translate and write the Book of Mormon, a book that talks about how Jesus came to America and went to all these places in America, towns in which we have no archaeological evidence for whatsoever, golden tablets that we do not have, even though they're not 3,000 years ago. This was in 1830. And again, millions, millions have followed another false prophet. And Jesus was so right, even though we kind of like glance over this verse when you just read it on your own, Listen, this is so important. Jesus was so right to warn us about false prophets. It's like there's something in us in the next 35 minutes or 30 minutes. I meet the Lord. Am I ready? And then after 38 minutes, uh, basically a, a statement was issued from the government. Some, and it basically said this. Some guy at the emergency management agency selected the wrong thing from the drop-down menu. Which I just remember being like, okay, what? Like, what? Like you're trying to select, have a nice day at the beach, but you end up with ballistic, ballistic missiles. This is not a drill? <laughs> Just unbelievable. Okay, so what if you would have been in Hawaii that morning? 
What would you have been thinking? Or what if you got that at 1 o'clock this afternoon? And it just said, coming to Blaine. This, somebody just went, I live in Andover. It's fine. <laughs> Wherever you live, right? This is not a drill. What would you think? Are you ready? You know, I think surely this virus has taught us that we don't know what the future holds, right? Like, I think of the many people who had amazing wedding ceremonies planned for April or May. I mean, how could they have known? You know, there were, there were people who spent the last five years trying to build a business, and then they finally opened their business in February, only to close it down in March. We don't know. We don't know what the future holds. We really don't. And I, I hope that you know that better now than you did six months ago. God is teaching this biblical principle to our culture. And just like we didn't know the future as it pertained to the virus, nor do we know the date in which Jesus is actually going to come back. And this is why Jesus uses the flood and Noah as a great example. He says, listen, in the days of Noah, people were going on with regular life. They were having weddings and doing all that kind of sort of stuff. I mean, think about this. In the days of the flood, there was probably literally a couple at their wedding ceremony saying I, their I do's. They were in the midst of their like probably little sand ceremony, pouring the different colors, saying, you'll never separate these apart again, right? When the first drops of rain started to come down. They had imagined their whole lives in front of them. And yet it begins to rain. You don't know when Jesus is coming back. No one knows. We don't know the number of days that we're going to live. So you've got to be ready. Do you know Jesus Christ? If it were this afternoon, are you ready? Yeah, I find that most Americans haven't given enough consideration to the things of eternity, to the coming of the kingdom of God. Right? They're just trapped in the rat race like everybody else, trying to compete with their friends, compete with their family, compete with their neighbors. Most people are more prepared for retirement than they are for where they will be for eternity. You know, I would say that most Americans prepare more thoroughly for a 10-day trip to Disney World than they do for where they're going to be for the next 3 billion years. Think about that. And so if Jesus were to come back this afternoon and we were all assigned to heaven or to hell this afternoon, have you for sure placed your faith in Jesus Christ? That he died for you on the cross? Have you believed in him as your savior? If not, please do not delay. Make that decision today. Go home tonight before you go to sleep and just say, Jesus, I, I trust that you die for me. I, I, I surrender to you. I give you my life. All right, there's one last section of our passage. Let's take a look at it. This is 30 to 37 now. Jesus is continuing. He says, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed, the day that Jesus comes back. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. So here's the fourth principle for today, the fourth and final principle about the coming of the kingdom. And it's this, don't love this life more than the next one. Don't love this life more than the next one. So look at verse 33, again, if you still have it in front of you. Uh, Jesus says, 
Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. So what that means is, if your life here on earth is more important to you than being with Jesus in heaven, then perhaps you're not saved. If you were to see Jesus sort of coming back down on the clouds, and your very first thought, the very first thing that your heart went to was, oh, but I never got to get married. But I'm going to miss my house. Well, I never got to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish with my career. If that's where your heart goes first, then maybe Jesus truly isn't first in your life. This is precisely why Jesus uses this really interesting example, and that's the example of Lot's wife. Now, this is a story from Genesis chapter 19. You can read it later if you want. And in Genesis 19, um, there's this family. It's Lot, his wife, and their two daughters. And they live in this city called Sodom, which was just immensely sinful. So sinful, and God doesn't do this a lot in history, that God decides he's going to destroy the city. He's going to rain down sulfur, burning sulfur on the city. It's very, very, very intense. Um, but before the city is destroyed, God sends an angel, and the angel goes to talk to Lot's family, and the angel is going to rescue them out of the city. And as the angel is leading them out of the city, he turns to the family and he says, Whatever you do, keep running and don't look back. Never look back. Whatever you do, don't look back. Don't stop. Just keep running. But yet, as they're running away from the city, Lot's wife, her heart just aches for her old life, right? She can't seem to just focus on her salvation. The fact that God is rescuing her from the burning fire and she turns back with this with this longing for her old house and her, her old status and all of her material things, and she looks back with longing to her old earthly life. And as she turns back, breaking the very commandment of God, she turns to salt. And so Jesus Christ is pleading with you this morning from one of the shortest verses in the entire Bible, verse 33. It's just three words. And he just says, remember Lot's wife. Why would Jesus Christ say that to you? Remember Lot's wife. He's saying that to you. Why? Because if Jesus is going to come back to earth, ready to save you, and your very first thought is to long back for all the things on earth that you just love and you enjoy so much. Remember, Jesus teaches that those who love their life will lose it. Do not love this life more than the next one or you may miss out on the next one. This is a tough word from Jesus, isn't it? I, I pray that at least it's revealing to you some of your idols, right? Some of the things, I have things in my mind where I think, oh, no, I would kind of miss that. Or I, that it just reveals to you the things that we put above Jesus. And I think what we do is we look at this passage we prepare that he could come back any day. And then it should take us to take our eyes and lift them up to heaven. Because you get so lost just looking at everybody else all the time. You just take your eyes. Would you just take your eyes for a second? We just look up, right? Stop looking at the earth. Just look up. Someday, Jesus Christ, your Savior, is going to come back on the clouds to take you home. The God who loves you, the God who died for you, and you will spend, this life is just a, and it's over. And you're going to spend eternity, forever, 
in heaven with him. So you keep your eyes up and your eyes focused on him and be ready. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that we're ready. Uh, God, we repent. We ask for your forgiveness for being so focused on the things of this earth. May we not look back like Lot's wife. God, when we see you coming, may we jump for joy because we deeply believe that what is coming for us is infinitely greater than anything we've experienced on this earth. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us and so many of us get to be a part of that. We just look forward to it with expectation and we just love you with all our heart. In your name we pray, amen.